This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. What is the mission of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, and its Quality Services Management Office? How can the concept of shared services be used to tackle cyber threats? And what are some of the key cyber threats facing federal agencies? I welcome my first guest, Jim Shear, Branch Chief of the Quality Services Management Office within CISA, to explore these questions and more. Jim, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me. So, Jim, you know, I like to provide some context uh, to my audience. What is the history and mission of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency? So, CISA is housed at the Department of Homeland Security, and CISA is the nation's risk advisor. So, we work with our partners to defend against today's threats and collaborating to build more secure and resilient infrastructure for the future. So within that context, could you tell us about a little bit about the mission of the office you lead within the agency? How does it support the overall mission of CISA? So our office is the Cybersecurity Quality Services Management Office. So QSMO is the acronym. And really our key mission is to be a single shared services office for managing cybersecurity solutions and shared services across the entire U.S. civilian government. And our background is that we were designated the cybersecurity QSMO by OMB in April 2020. So a fairly new office. And in fact, we were the first QSMO designated uh, in a shared services area. In when you get that de- designation right, almost right in the middle of the pandemic, how, uh, how was it building and you know, taking the mission to, to fruition, so to speak, during that time frame? I mean, it, it presented its own unique challenges like we're all facing. So how do you manage a remote workforce? How do you brief leadership and get buy-in and the resources you need to stand up the PMO. We, of course, work very closely with OMB and our governance structure to make sure we're building uh, out the functions to what is needed across government, Um, all from that remote posture, uh, including staffing up the office and building it out was certainly challenging, but uh, we we, uh, we managed to pull it off. That's a great, I appreciate your response there. It's a great transition into my next question around your specific duties and responsibilities. Um, Would you kind of give us an overview of those? Certainly. So as the branch chief, I oversee all aspects of the QSMO, and that's really comprised of several key functions. So uh, for starters, we manage the QSMO marketplace. So that's our storefront, our marketplace where agencies can find the cybersecurity shared services they need to help serve their missions and meets their mission needs. Uh, so that's really the key, the key part. Uh, through our governance role, uh, we also work with other federal agencies that offer shared services. So 
The vision of the QSMOs is to serve as that governance entity that works with any agency offering services to another agency. So we partner with agencies like Department of Justice, Department of Transportation, vet those services against our standards and business requirements. And then when, when ready, we onboard them and bring them into our marketplace so, the, so they are more visible and can bring those to our agency customers. We also work closely with the standards area lead. So the CISA standards area lead actually a separate office independent of the QSMO and really work with them to develop our new service offerings. So um, that means identifying what our agency requirements are, what our underlying standards, such as those definitively known by NIST, and uh, looking at uh, what are the different areas to meet critical gaps. And in our first year, uh, that's been in our designated areas in vulnerability disclosure, for protective DNS resolver and security operations. So, and then lastly, uh, very importantly, we stood up a function that is focused on customer experience. So not only leading our customer engagements, but uh, thinking holistically about how we enable that voice of customer. So getting the agency feedback on everything we do, uh, taking that back to our service development and all aspects of the QSMO, and importantly, communicating with the agencies on how we took that feedback to improve. So, Jim, you know, regarding your duties and responsibilities, what are the top three challenges, say, you face in your position? And how have you sought to address those challenges? So, you know, I would say a challenge and uh, an area of focus has been really in, um, in customer focus. So how are we uh, ensuring a customer experience where we are engaging our agencies on their unique mission and needs, their requirements, their gaps, uh, and making sure that we take that feedback and incorporate it back into every element um, of the QSMO. And this was an area actually that our, our governance board and, uh, and o- leadership in OMB gave us some great uh, guidance on, on how to build that out and make sure we are uh, making that voice of customer part of everything we do. So, so we established a formal uh, customer experience function and it leads our customer and stakeholder outreach. And one um, feature of that is we quickly established a customer advisory board. So it's comprised of um, 15 uh, agencies, senior cyber leaders, and they give us key insights and guide us in everything we do and and to make sure uh, that we are serving those agencies and their missions. That's terrific. You know, um, along with the challenges you've encountered that you outlined, what has surprised you most, Jim, since taking over your current leadership role? So I took this role while also joining CISA, uh, as uh, joining the CISA team. And what has surprised me and that has really made uh, the QSMO uh, a great place is this real passion that the the CISA team has for cybersecurity and for the public service mission. So really all of us coming together to think about how can we serve our agencies and their critical missions um, to serve the American public. And and that really is a part of the dedication and passion that the CISA team and the QSMO brings. And that is just a, a, you know, not entirely a surprise, but very, very uh, pleasant uh, reinforcement uh, on, on everything we do. You know, um, I, I was wondering, we talked about your office, your roles and responsibilities, but what about your strategic vision and your key objectives? Can you tell us more about both? Well, the vision is really a, uh, is better cybersecurity in government. So that's that key CISA vision. So we serve that vision by providing this marketplace of high quality cybersecurity shared services that allow agencies to mature in cyber uh, with cost avoidance through that consistency and scale we bring um, in government-wide. So focusing on the entire civilian. So our key objectives usually center on 
are we developing and, and bringing to, to the marketplace those services needed to address critical cyber gaps? They might include development of specific service areas as per uh, overall policy and direction. I mentioned previously, we, had, we were prioritizing security operations, protective DNS in our first year. So the, the, there are objectives around that. So, But overall, I would say the framing is that vision of improved cyber uh, and, and what we can do to bring the services to the agencies. That's wonderful. So are there any key internal or and or external drivers and trends that have shaped or informed your vision and strategy for your uh, office? Yeah, those drivers are, I think, that that overall strategic vision that, that um, we have in our leadership across government to both leverage uh, shared services where possible. So for that key value proposition of quality services uh, at, at scale that allow us to achieve um, cost savings or cost avoidance, uh, coupled with the overall mission and policy context of improved cyber. So uh, our agency missions face risk uh, on the cybersecurity side from a variety of, um, of angles. You probably read about it every day in the paper. And uh, our, our goal really is to uh, help build out and help the agencies build um, resilient networks and capabilities that secure their missions from that risk. So, so those, uh, those drivers of what those gaps are, what those needs are, how we structure services is really key to our work. Yeah, it's interesting given your 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 background and talent in you know government wide, enterprise wide kind of initiatives. Um, it, it leads to my next question around leadership and how you lead. You know, would you sort of give us a sense of your leadership approach? But more so, given your background, given your experience, what characteristics have you gleaned that make one an effective leader? Perhaps you could share with us some of your leadership principles. Uh, certainly. So to be an effective leader in federal government, especially, it is critical to be an effective coalition. So that that ability to bring seemingly disparate missions together to advance a common goal, often with varying degrees of formal authority. So, so a key, you know, with more or less authority, a key, another characteristic or a part of that coalition building is really articulating a clear value proposition for your coalition partners. So what is the value your activity is bringing and how do you bring that coalition together to advance that common goal? And that coalition building uh, is both, you know, within your own very often large home agency, uh, but in particular, um, you know, and in a government-wide mission such as CISA's, building that across government, across agencies, and across that wide variety of mission spaces that are often unique. And that really brings me to another principle, and that is really having a good mission focus. So focus not only on your own mission, in our case, cyber, but an appreciation for the critically important missions of our agency customers that serve the American public. At the end of the day, that is why we're here. And so that, that focus on our agencies and their missions and our overall uh, uh, mission as government, that, uh, that allows you to identify and, and articulate and build that value proposition to all your partners and, that, and really to build effective coalitions uh, to drive success. How can shared services be used to tackle cyber threats facing U.S. federal departments? We'll explore this question and much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour.
To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report Financial Management for the Future at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Whitner breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Jim Shear, Branch Chief of the Quality Services Management Office at the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA. You know, Jim, we talk a lot, we, we've talked about shared services. You mentioned shared services. For our audience, could you explain the concept of shared services? At a high level, it is the notion that um, you share a service instead of building kind of unique mission-specific services or, or siloed services. And it's really a, a well-known concept at the enterprise level. So what are common services you can build to common requirements that serve an entire enterprise? And that way you get uh, scale and consistency in the approach and, and especially, of course, uh, cost avoidance when you, at, when you procure and build at that larger scale. So really about consistency, better security in our case, and cost avoidance uh, at, at, the, at those economies of scale. That's, thank you, Jim. So would you tell us more about the Vulnerability Disclosure Platform, VDP? How does it coalesce into a centralized repository of potential vulnerabilities found on externally facing government systems? And how can agencies, federal agencies, leverage this platform? So the origins of the Vulnerability Disclosure Platform, so VDP, our work there is actually work CISA did with a binding operational directive that really is aimed at having agencies leverage um, the great work done by the researcher community that analyzes for potential vulnerabilities on government's externally facing systems. And so the thought is about how can those researchers submit that information in a legal way uh, to bring it to our attention so that we can then follow up and remediate if it's a, if it's a problem or, or challenge. Um, so the platform takes that first step um, how can we provide the researchers and the agencies a central place to list all the systems that are in scope of the policy, uh, look at the, uh, uh, provide the uh, means for the researchers to submit their reports, um, do a bit of triaging on the reports, and then referring them on to the agencies. And so the value uh, proposition here really is uh, an improved experience for the researchers, for the agencies, it um, relieves them of work in standing up the uh, public-facing platform on how researchers can submit reports by providing triaging. It, it provides a bit of filter to make sure we're routing the most relevant reports on. And we found that that really, uh, in, by funding that and building it in one place, um, avoided the need to build over 100 separate portals, frankly. And, and so we saw a significant cost avoidance there as well. But importantly, the, the reports transmitted to the agencies, the agencies then 
uh, handle those so they didn't take them and um, analyze them further for potential uh, remediation. Jim, would you tell us more about the domain name system uh, revolver service, the DNS revolver service? What functionalities are offered with this service and, and how does it work? So the uh, protective DNS um, resolver, so or you know, also known as a DNS firewall service, it neutralizes malicious DNS content used in cyber attacks, and it will use state-of-the-art DNS technologies and threat intelligence sources to secure that query traffic and will block government query traffic from reaching malicious domains. In plain English, if you get a bad link that wants to send you to someplace bad, it stops it uh, using kind of that best threat intel we have. And that is a very common vector uh, often for folks following bad links and uh, for a cybersecurity risk. So we want to address that. And funding it centrally at CISA enables us to build that and, and then work with agencies to direct their traffic. Yeah, what, what benefits are offered by CISA's protective DNS service? And what, what else does this service promote? So maybe the benefits of the service. It, it promotes that, um, that overall DNS security. So how, how, you know, how we are securing uh, that from potential cybersecurity risk. And the big benefit is that by doing this centrally, we see substantial cost avoidance and rolling it out for federal civilians. Uh, can I ask a question, a follow-up on this, Jim, relative to uh, sort of a go-to-market? Um, how popular is this service? Um, how many agencies do you have enrolled yet or, or taking the service? Or is it too early to ask that question? Uh, it is too early. It um, It is actually currently um, under development. So, yeah, we want to close out our RFP uh, and move to award and then go live. So this year, we want to see both the award and we want to see our ATO and um, finally go live. So we do expect to work with a number of pilot agencies in a ramp up out then to the rest of government. What is being done with the Security Operations Center, the SOX? What type of services are available in this area and how can agencies access these services? So the Security Operations Center services or Security Operations Services is really a broad set of capabilities. And it includes anything from uh, network monitoring through incident response and other core security operations capabilities. So, so to start in this area, we partnered actually with the Department of Justice that offers a great uh, security operations center service and very importantly, as a fully managed service. So you might have a um, smaller agency or an agency that might, might have, might struggle a bit to build out their own security operations center prefer instead to leverage a shared service, a managed service. And that is a, a way to put these capabilities in more quickly and again, with substantial cost, cost avoidance, especially often in agencies that might be at smaller scale than building out their own capability. So, so DOJ offers the uh, full set of services in their managed service offerings, and they are in our marketplace today. Um, uh, you can, by the way, peruse these offerings at the QSMO marketplace um, at CESA. Um, so, but next steps will likely include uh, moving beyond the um, federal provider option DOJ and looking at how we can bring additional commercial uh, uh, offerings to the agencies as well. We've had, we have large agencies, for example, who might like just a single capability or a single microservice. So we are looking at how to stand up a, uh, a, a in our marketplace, a greater set of options with multiple commercial providers now, possibly through something like a government-wide vehicle, acquisition vehicle, partnering with an agency like GSA, so that we can expand that option set 
both in terms of capabilities, but also either as a managed service or possibly individual services, giving, giving our agencies really that full suite of options. So, Jim, how are you identifying and compiling security operations standards for your marketplace offerings? So this was a key uh, part of our initial standup as the QSMO uh, by OMB and M, uh, in M memorandum and other policy. The um, standards and, and, uh, and requirements are actually established by a separate office. So they are known as the standards area lead, and that is a separate function uh, within CISA. And so they have their own processes for how to establish those standards, very often, of course, built on underlying foundational NIST standards. Uh, and they work through an entity called the Business Standards Council. So they have their own government's approach. It's an interagency process. So they uh, consult uh, extensively with the agencies on their needs. They work with NIST and build on NIST standards. And so when they're done and they and they complete it, um, they actually then give us the standards and requirements and the QSMO role is to then develop the services against those standards. That's great. Can you tell us more rather about the governance structure that provides guidance for all of these efforts you're doing? So the overall um, structure is led by an entity called the Shared Services Governance Board or, or SSGB. And that is a multi-agency board comprised of senior leaders from a number of functional areas and they guide all of the QSMOs, not just the cyber, but also financial management, HR, grants, the other QSMOs in various aspects of our missions and how we execute. Um, GSA plays a key role here um, in the Office of Government-Wide Policy. They support the SSGB uh, in, in uh, executing all those functions. So we work closely with them as well in all, all aspects of QSMO governance. And so that governance structure really helps ensure that we keep that customer focus I mentioned, making sure we are delivering to government-wide needs. That's great. I was I was wondering if I may ask a follow-up on that. Um, how closely do you work with the other QSMOs, the financial management? Uh, is there a sort of a, a network that you guys can share best practices, or is there anything um, formal or informal community of practice uh, between the QSMOs? Yes, we, we, we do work with them and coordinate. We're not functionally um, connected, but certainly we share best practices, um, common approaches. Uh, we're often asked for um, templates or models or frameworks that we've built out in building out uh, elements of ours. We do the same, of course, where, where we are building out something new uh, to share those uh, best practices. And you know, this is something I have to compliment GSA on, uh, um, that, that Office, Office of Government-Wide Policy, they really facilitate that dialogue well and really look for uh, areas where we can establish even common capabilities or common approaches to ensure that consistency. So, and they have a number of uh, ways that we interact there as well. So it's formal formal and informal, but highly collaborative. We're, uh, we're definitely a, a larger coalition advancing this common goal. Wonderful to hear that. So, you know, Jim, how is your office ensuring that your efforts uh, built, build in a strong voice of customer function. And what is being done to make sure that each workplace focuses on, or marketplace focuses on the customer experience? So we uh, uh, took the, that um, point. We also got this great guidance from our shared services governance board and from OMB to make sure that that voice of customer is um, properly built out and functioning well. So as part of the standup of the QSMO, we established a formal customer experience office, so a function. And it is responsible for ensuring that that voice of customer is captured, that we take it back into our processes, that we leverage it to improve everything we do from 
service design, through delivery, uh, through capturing feedback on customer satisfaction on the services delivered, and really making sure that is a part of everything we do. And to lead that, uh, uh, in one example, we established a customer advisory board. So we invited senior cyber leaders uh, to in a permanent forum that guides us in all aspects. And we get that real-time feedback, present new ideas, report out on progress to get that and make sure we have that that buy-in and that voice of customer capture. Or who is involved in that, giving you the feedback? Oh, it's uh, high-level cyber leaders across uh, CFO Act and non-CFO Act agencies. So, so large agencies such as um, Transportation, Energy, DOJ, um, smaller agencies. The small agencies have a very important voice here. Very often, some of the biggest customers of shared services. So we they are very well represented uh, to make sure we have that we're capturing that um, diversity of mission, size, scope uh, in in our work to make sure that we are designing our services properly to meet their needs. That's great. Thanks very much for that. So, you know, within the context of your office uh, and its mission, what actually, we, we mentioned this term marketplace, but what actually is a marketplace and what do they sort of entail? If I'm going, if I'm, the, for, I'm a fledgling agency head that needs your services, what do I see? When I go to the marketplace? Well, when you go to a marketplace, you see um, a catalog, a, a marketplace or storefront of a variety of, in our case, cybersecurity shared services in key functional areas um, that meet an agency's needs or help them uh, sustain their own cybersecurity programs. Um, so if you were looking for a specific capability, you might navigate to that specific service. If you were looking for a fully managed service offering, for example, across a, a broad set of services such as security operations, if you were uh, if you were looking at implementing, for example, the binding operational directive, BOD for vulnerability disclosure, you come to our marketplace to find our service that helps you implement that. It's that it's that storefront uh, and catalog of offerings that we uh, maintain to meet th- those those agencies' needs. That's great. Um, how? Uh, uh, just to clarify, are they operational now? Is your are your marketplaces up and running? Marketplaces up and running? Or, it is, okay. and you you can, you can go to sysadoc.gov forward slash cyberqsmo and find more information on the marketplace. And it is um, constantly under development. This is a wide ranging and constantly evolving field. So maintaining it to uh, with services. Uh, through our partnerships with other federal agencies, through uh, with services that CISA itself is establishing and providing, future state aligning with government-wide acquisition vehicles at agencies such as GSA, we are constantly building that out to um, to uh, improve the variety and uh, and offerings of quality services. So, Jim, would you elaborate on any key findings in your work to identify common technology services that meet agency cybersecurity needs? Well, we're very driven um, and work closely with the standards group, so the standards area lead within CISA. And so they work with the interagency to identify what the common technology services are comprised of, what are the agency requirements, what are underlying policies, uh, what are NIST standards in these areas. And so really they are are, are um, capturing those key findings to inform all aspects of service design. And then in the QSMO, uh, we work with agencies to um, really look at kind of what are the service delivery types that might be needed? Do agencies want 
access to specific vendors? Do they want shared services offerings? We look at different cost modeling scenarios to help design those vehicles and our, our approaches uh, and our customer experience. Our voice of customer function really makes sure that we are actively capturing uh, the needs of our wide variety of civilian missions. Uh, you know, given your office's critical mission, um, you definitely require technical skills and expertise. Um, to that end, what are you doing to ensure that you have a well-trained technical workforce to meet the missions? And and how are you, more importantly, attracting the right talent? So as a CISA mission, of course, we're one of many missions in CISA that, is, uh, that requires that technical skill in IT and cyber, program management, acquisitions, the variety of skills that's an expertise we need. So we are definitely very much part, a part of and support and benefit from the great work CISA is doing to recruit that force. So making sure we are um, uh, attracting and recruiting and retaining um, a really high quality, skilled and diverse workforce uh, that meets that mission. Folks straight out of college, uh, folks through internships, a variety of programs, uh, and of course, reaching out to the broader community of cyber experts who are interested in joining really such a innovative and forward-thinking uh, and important mission like cyber at the national level uh, that we have in CISA. So uh, we are actively recruiting. We always have opportunity for that uh, that next cybersecurity pro that would like to join us. That's wonderful. Jim, how is your office collaborating with the private sector to mitigate cyber threats and secure government systems? So our mission in the QSMO is really primarily focused on federal civilian government. So our, our services aimed at um, providing them with shared services offerings for them to improve their cyber maturity and, and mitigate those threats. So offering those to the private sector is not currently in our mission space. That being said, we want to leverage most recent innovative solutions, great products and services to help the government uh, mitigate our threats. So I would say the collaboration, of course, or uh, comes in the acquisition space. So very often we uh, turn to best-in-class commercial solutions to meet our needs. And so in the VDP instance, for example, uh, there we procured a SaaS solution uh, as our platform, uh, a company called BugCrowd, and, and they will provide our uh, platform as part of our service. So, so I would say primarily um, collaborating by leveraging through, through acquisitions those solutions that meet our mission needs. So I was wondering if you could give me your perspective uh, on, you know, cybersecurity threats and, 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 and the whole issue around cybersecurity is very, very prominent today. Are there emerging technologies that you would like to share with us that, that could help Quizmo, your office, meet its mission more effectively? Um, I mean, there are any number of emerging cybersecurity technologies that meet the constantly evolving landscape of threats. So um, it, it, not just in the QSMO, but with our technology and cyber experts across the CISA mission space, uh, we are always thinking about you know, how to uh, stay a step ahead. So how can we innovate and really build out that capacity in, in the agencies to uh, mitigate those threats? So uh, it, it's uh, any number of different approaches, tools, and solutions. And uh, fortunately, we have a great CISA team that is always thinking about how to uh, leverage those solutions to, um, to help our agencies. And in our case, in the QSMO, uh, how do we 
uh, bring those solutions, those offerings that we have um, that we've identified uh, to our agency customers um, to really help them address those threats. What is your strategy, or how are you promoting the services your office offers? We we promote it through a number of channels uh, into uh, federal cross federal civilian government. So. CISA, of course, is the uh, leader for cyber um, uh, and leading overall and helping agencies um, become more mature. We have a number of channels from um, in our outreach and our stakeholder communications functions, ranging from engaging senior agency leadership, including our community's CIOs and CISOs, getting their feedback on everything we do through more technical level exchanges. We issue guidance and tools. There are working groups, other fora. So Really, CISA engaging our customer agencies to uh, help guide us and all of our work is an integral part of everything we do. And QSMO is part of that in a number of ways, uh, including through our customer advisory board, engaging through our formal governance structure, the SSGB and other fora. It, it, is a, it is a very important part of what we do to make sure we are getting that voice of customer. Jim, what advice would you give to someone who's considering a career in public service? So... My advice and um, something just I personally like to engage a potential uh, um, new federal employees is kind of having an appreciation for that mission, for the public mission. So knowing that we uh, come to work every day to serve the American public, what what is your dedication to that mission? Is that something that brings you reward and inspiration, gives you a high level of engagement and job satisfaction? If that is something you want to do, join the federal uh, workforce, the team at CISA that is really, at the end of the day, about helping our agency, securing our entire nation from the broad array of growing cyber threats we see. Uh, it is a compelling and really uh, engaging and inspiring mission. So if that is for you, that that desire to be part of a team uh, in, in the national service, uh, that that is uh, that is advice I would give. And CISA would, is a great place to be. Well, Jim, I want to thank you for joining me today and taking time out of your busy schedule uh, to share your insights of the important mission of your office. But more importantly, Jim, I'd like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Thank you. What are some of the key cyber threats facing U.S. federal agencies? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center Report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. Continuing our discussion on cybersecurity and government, I'd like to welcome Margie Graves, 
former deputy federal CIO within the Office of Management and Budget, and visiting fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Margie, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate being able to discuss this important topic with you. It is good. So perhaps you could begin uh, by giving us a sense of what is meant by cyber and why securing our cyber world is so important. So I guess we'll start with a little Cyber 101. Um, You know, our world is digitally connected on our personal and professional lives, as well as our interactions and transactions with our governments, local and federal. They're all enabled by technology. And this has been highlighted even more dramatically by the COVID epidemic. Um, Global societies are dependent on technology and the internet to transact business. We're all very used to the convenience of being able to use online banking, to renew our car registrations with the DMV, or to order practically anything and everything online and have it delivered to our homes. And now that we're working from home, it's even more clear that most of our professional interactions can be supported in that virtual environment also. And my hope is that we actually retain some of the good things that we've learned from operating in the virtual world, even when we're able to return to in-person venues. Securing these environments is so critical because there are nation states, hackers, and common criminals that try to disrupt and usurp online activity for their own purposes. And they generally have nefarious intent, and this can sometimes lead to more dire consequences, everything from personal financial loss to the compromise of national security and loss of life and everything in between. And if a criminal has stolen your personal identity and gained access to your accounts, theft can be the result. If a nation state's gained access to government systems, then the national security is compromised. That's a great uh, point there. Margie, so you come from uh, a a recent stint as deputy CIO uh, for the federal government out of OMB. What are some of the key cyber threats facing U.S. federal government departments? Well, these threats are the kinds of things that keep government officials up at night. I mean, these are not just uh, things that affect the technical environment. Uh, So obviously the CIOs and and their organizations are worried about this on a continuous basis, but every uh, federal official knows what the impact can be if things actually go awry. The adversaries are more and more sophisticated. There are so many threat vectors and they continue to multiply. We've just seen in the solar winds attack the exploitation of software supply chain uh, vectors. And this was a zero day attack. Our defense can no longer be static. It has to be responsive in real time. For example, there was no signature for this attack. So it wasn't like we could have have uh, compared uh, against a a particular signature that we already had in our possession and, and been able to find it. So Uh, These things are more and more sophisticated. Uh, They're getting uh, to the point where uh, they're ubiquitous and they're very um, evolving over time. So constantly changing, constantly evolving. And we have to be vigilant and evolving in the same manner at the same time if we're ever going to get out in front of this. That's an important point. So you, you, you've already illustrated, Margie, that cybersecurity covers a wide subject matter, if you will. 
What are some of the core types of cybersecurity out there? Well, we could talk about the, the technical types, which are the types of defenses, but really uh, I'd rather talk about the, um, the business aspect of this. So the protection of personally identifiable information or PII is extremely relevant. Uh, you trust your bank uh, in your transactions online to protect your information and to ensure that there are no hackers that are getting access to your uh, bank accounts. You must have transactional trust similarly in all the things that you do with the federal government. If you supply your personal information to the federal government for the uh, option of receiving a benefit or completing a transaction that you need to uh, to complete, uh, knowing that transaction is protected, whether the data is at rest and resides within their systems or whether the data, data is in motion and is being transmitted uh, through network security. All of that has to be buttoned up in order for an individual to be able to trust uh, their institution and be able to actually conduct business online. Uh, from the technical standpoint, identity management uh, is critical, i.e., what factors do you use to authenticate a person uh, to allow that person to have access to those systems and those applications and to conduct that business and limiting that um, access to only that transaction uh, and only the need to know for certain elements of that transaction. And then, of course, there's the infrastructure itself, the endpoint devices uh, where you conduct the transaction, the network security where the transaction uh, uh, actually um, moves across cyberspace, and then the infrastructure security from the technology framework perspective uh, that we all follow through the guidelines and the standards that we get from NIST. So all of those things are critically important. One aspect is, is how do you protect? The other aspect is what do you protect and why? Um, so it's all critical uh, because this is the way we, we do business today. That's an important point. And I was wondering, you know, could you identify for us some of the innovative ways the U.S. federal agencies are trying to combat some of the threats you outlined earlier? Uh, sure. I think there's a, a strong recognition, and you, you see it um, discussed in all of the open forums that we have today, uh, particularly by our most critical experts in this arena, uh, people who have lived this and breathed this and understand exactly what it means to get it right and to get it wrong, uh, have been discussing this in forums such as uh, hearings uh, in the Homeland Security arena and also uh, in good government groups and uh, within agency interactions to make sure that we are all trying to collectively combine our knowledge and our innovation and our ideas uh, to be able to attack this problem. Uh, you see a lot of agencies looking to implement the concept of zero trust and zero trust is assuming that an individual or a location or a device can't be trusted and must be continuously validated. That means that you can't simply gain access 
uh, to an environment or an application or something of that nature, and then uh, move laterally uh, within with unfettered access across that entire environment that you constantly have to be reevaluated in terms of every transaction that you uh, take on. Uh, so for example, if I'm looking at the balances on my retirement account, let's take TSP because that's one that most government officials are familiar with. If you if you look at the retirement account, uh, you are required to have a username and password, but also you receive a device authentication and a um, uh, code uh, that is sent to you. And you can use that code one time. And once that transaction is completed, then the next transaction, you have to be revalidated and you would get another code. That's what I'm talking about. Um, the vulnerability disclosure and the immediate response to that is another thing that agencies are looking at today. Uh, OMB issued just last September a requirement for agencies to up their game in this arena to be more proactive in terms of their um, identification of vulnerabilities, uh, in terms of crowdsourcing uh, from all corporate entities as well as government entities who use certain types of software, what those vulnerabilities might be, and then conducting an immediate response. Um, CISA and DHS has talked about being more uh, timely in this arena and to uh, be able to have some authorities to actually shut down activity while uh, things are patched and, and brought back to normal. And then finally, uh, proactive defense. And, and that means primarily um, upping the game in terms of our hunt capability. Uh, we have often uh, been relegated to, I think, response and recovery as opposed to proactively going after the adversary once we have some hint uh, that there is some activity going on. So the ability to um, to do that is very important and we need to balance our primary defenses with the ability to hunt the adversary. And one of the things I'd like to add to that, you know, I said that was my last point, but I just thought of something else. Um, making sure that we are uh, exchanging information in this environment is, is key and metering our endpoint devices, i.e. our points of entry, uh, so that we are constantly looking at their configurations and their behavior and identifying anomalous behavior, uh, because that is a, usually a key indication of some activity that's going on that shouldn't be. What is DevSecOps? We'll explore this question and much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report, Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery by Yan-Yan Ang presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. 
I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Marjorie Graves, former Deputy Federal CIO within the Office of Management and Budget and visiting fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. So I want to switch gears a bit, Margie, and talk about a term folks are hearing a lot about, and they often hear it, but very few probably really, unless they're in the cyber world, really know what it is. And what is DevSecOps? And perhaps in, in once you describe it, you can tell us some of the benefits of pursuing such an approach. Oh. Well, in the methodology of DevSecOps, when code is being developed, when applications are being developed, when features are being added and they're continuously being um, integrated, uh, we add security as a key element of the creation of those feature sets and that integration uh, into the uh, supply chain itself so that security is constantly being um, added to the equation instead of tested and added on at the end, which we used to do with the waterfall approach. Uh, This is extremely important because what it does is it pulls the the development personnel, the security personnel, and the operational personnel, each of which have a a little bit of a different lens on the development activity, but ultimately have a stake in its success. So, making sure that the development team is informed by uh, how a feature might operate in an operational environment with a security imperative uh, is very critical as these things are are being designed. Um, And it also, uh, DevSecOps encourages the integration of uh, design thinking and customer experience as part of that value chain. So all of those elements come together as one team and security is an integrated part of that development build and it's incorporated into all stages of the workflow. So it's owned by the entire team. That ensures that everybody has a vested interest in the ultimate um, value proposition of the application itself and ensuring that it has the right security requirements wrapped around it. That's great. So are there any uh, best practices, Margie, that you would like to share with us around DevSecOps? Best practices would include the ability to um, to co-locate either virtually or, or physically uh, those members of the team and that they are not stovepiped and they are not handing off uh, their piece of the equation to the next individual. They're constantly discussing the delivery of the service or the application together uh, so that the nuances in each one of those lenses that each one of them has uh, is applied to the product and you get a better product. Uh, in a sense. It also allows you to, um, the continuous integration allows you to understand how the features uh, that have been previously deployed would affect future features and vice versa, uh, so that you can make sure that you are adjusting uh, along the way. And then finally, uh, the most important part is that customer experience part. Uh, As you add and build uh, additional um, 
elements of the application. Uh, are you getting the user experience that was originally intended and the outcome uh, that the strategy determined was needed? So, uh, and that can only be validated by the actual customer. And the customer in the equation is the ultimate bellwether of the success. Uh, if they are not involved and if the features are not developed with that first in mind, then you're not likely to get uh, relative adoption when it's actually deployed. Mm, that's an important point. Um, you know, Margie, a critical challenge of uh, cybersecurity is lack of qualified professionals. Uh, how can federal agencies deal with the people and skills gaps? Well, one of the things that we were pursuing at OMB when I was there, and they have continued, um, is the cyber skilling academies that we put in place that can be scaled and can be used, that methodology can be used in individual agencies. Uh, and it's it's working to uh, take current personnel and uh, if they want to be reskilled into the cyber world, that is one, I guess you'd call pipeline that we can develop within agencies where we can take um, our existing population and move them into this particular uh, discipline. In addition, we are also changing the way that we hire in the federal government in the sense that we're looking less at paper credentials and more at demonstrable, measurable um, capabilities. So we're hiring uh, based on uh, capability proof as opposed to uh, paper resumes. There are methodologies that are available to us now that allow us to test uh, the aptitude and attitude is what we used to call it. Uh, having the aptitude to actually be a cyber analyst and having the attitude of, of wanting to uh, be involved in that world and uh, to have it be of high interest to you is, um, is a key factor of success. And then of course, working with the educational institutions all the way from K through 12 through a higher education to ensure that the curriculum uh, side of the equation is, is covered uh, in the sense of making uh, sure that there are individuals coming out of those educational systems today that can actually um, just walk right into these kinds of environments and know what to do from day one because they've grown up with it. So those are three different ways that we're sourcing those qualified professionals, uh, there will never be enough because not only does the federal government need them, but also commercial enterprises need them. Uh, it's just a highly skilled capability that uh, is very much a need today. You know, Margie, in your previous, your last leadership role in the federal government, you were involved in the Technology Modernization Fund, uh, the TMF. I'd like to talk about that a little bit and how important is that program to modernizing federal IT? And more importantly, Margie, how does the previous process need to change? So the TMF is very critical for modernizing federal IT. 
Uh, it is one tool in the toolbox in the sense that it is a funding flexibility. Uh, when you are developing your funding strategies at an agency, you rely on not only your base budget and your programmatic enhancements, but also on working capital funds and uh, and opportunities uh, to tap the fund at the TMF is one more option for you. In addition, in the act that just recently passed, there has been money uh, supplied to DHS CISA as well as GSA and USDS. All of those funding elements could be used in an overarching funding strategy to modernize IT within a given agency. It's very important when you're connecting this back to cybersecurity to recognize that in our original criteria for selection, uh, one of the things that we emphasized to agencies was the fact that you should be addressing your high-value assets, and those high-value assets should not only be meeting operational requirements and, and having the intended strategic outcome, but also need to be cyber secure. So there were some applications that and programs that were meeting one or the other, uh, very few that were meeting both, but both of those elements are required in order to run a successful program and have a successful outcome. So either one of the elements, either cybersecurity or operational capability, uh, would be used to create a business case for a program or a project that could be supported by the TMF. Having the TMF funded at this level, uh, of course, requires a rethinking as to the uh, methodology and the throughput uh, that the board may be able to handle. And that's all under discussion at this point. That's great. Morgie, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule today to join us and and discuss uh, the cybersecurity in the federal context. Thanks again. Thank you, Michael. It was my pleasure. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Jim Shear of CISA and Margie Graves, visiting fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at Podcast One, iTunes, or on your favorite podcast app. And as always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org.